in a world full of corruption. One man showed love and wanted to change things forever. Yeah, that's a little much, huh? My name is Patrick Nugent. On June 23, 2019, I started walking with Jesus. Come hear my story and the story of so many others whose lives have been changed by their walks with Him. Come walk with us. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today on Walking with Jesus. I am so excited to share the story for today. Today I'm going to share a little bit of my own testimony on some things that have happened since I started my walk with the Lord. Whenever you hear a training on how to give your testimony, they say, talk about who you were before Jesus, how you came to Jesus, and what's happened since. This is a completely true story about the months after my baptism. It all started the week of Thanksgiving in 2020. I was baptized on Tuesday, November 24th, 2020. At the time, I was living with the woman who would become my wife and all of our children. And I didn't feel like I wanted to live that way anymore. I wanted to, <laughs> as the, the people would say in the 1950s, make an honest woman out of her. Uh, but the reality was, I wanted to live right under God. I had professed my life and surrendered my life to Jesus. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit invades your heart and begins to guide you on choices that you make. And things that happen in your life suddenly look different and sound different and feel different. And I felt different and really wanted to make sure that I was living right with the Holy Spirit inside of me. And so I decided that I was going to propose to Autumn. And uh, if, if, if you're listening and you know Autumn, you know that she hates to be the center of attention. So I decided that I would do it in the most public way possible, of course. So I decided that I would do it at Thanksgiving dinner, at the toast, with everyone from our friends and family sitting at the table with us. I proposed on Thanksgiving Day, which was the 26th of November, 2020. And she said, yes, actually, what she said at the exact moment was, don't do it. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to do it. It's too late. And I had already brought the ring out of my pocket. And so I asked. And of course, she said, yes. And the rest is history. Or is it? Because the reality is nothing after that moment was anything like what you would call a traditional story. Now, first of all, Autumn and I have not had a traditional story at all. A story for another episode will be the birth of our daughter and, and all of that. But this story is about the events that happened after my proposal. So after Thanksgiving, we begin to plan our wedding. We begin to plan what it's going to be, what it's going to look like, what we're going to do, how we're going to celebrate this in July of 2022. Our hope is that the pandemic would be over by then, or at least over enough that we'd be able to invite our friends and family and be able to celebrate with everybody. Larkin, our youngest child, was born in October of 2019, so she had just turned one prior to this Thanksgiving that we're referring to. And Autumn had been experiencing neck pain after the birth. She and I talked a lot about it. We, you know, I, I gave her massages and things like that. And 
what we figured was that she had just kind of hurt herself during the birth, that she had kind of, you know, maybe slipped a disc or done something like that. And so she went to her doctor and her doctor said, you know, I'll prescribe physical therapy for you. And so she went through three rounds of physical therapy and went back to the doctor with no changes in her symptoms. She attempted all kinds of treatments and, and nothing was successful and the pain was getting worse and worse. And she was beginning to feel numbness and tingling in her arms and legs and just generally being very, very uncomfortable. She is a trooper and she is the strongest person I've ever met. So, you know, I, I know that if she's complaining about being in pain, then that means that pain is real and, and she can no longer deal with it. So she keeps asking her doctor if she can get an MRI and her doctor keeps saying, no, unfortunately, we can't do an MRI until you've gone through another course of physical therapy and attempted, you know, virtually every other treatment in the book. So she went through full rounds of physical therapy, you know, five to six appointments and then go back to the doctor and then do five or six more appointments. And finally, all of this had occurred and the insurance company finally agreed to, to cover an MRI for her. So her MRI was on the 20th of December. And that's when the story really starts going. Her mom took her to her MRI. I stayed home with the kids and she called me about an hour and a half after her appointment had started. And I assumed that she was calling to tell me she was on her way home. And what she was calling to tell me was that she was on her way to the emergency room, that they had told her at the MRI that she needed to go to the emergency room right away. Didn't give her any more detail than that. Now, remember that I said that this is December of 2020. So we're kind of in the middle of a pandemic. They're not allowing other people in. They're not allowing anyone to go into the ER with her. And so I find out that her mom is sitting in the waiting room of the ER. And so I, you know, mask up and, and head into the waiting room of the ER. My mom came over and, and was with the kids. And so I went in and, and her mom said, you know, I don't really know anymore. And while we were sitting there, Autumn called me and she says, I don't have any details yet, but all they've told me is that they found a mass on up in my neck. And I knew she was scared. I was scared. And I didn't know how I was going to look her mom in the eye and tell her mom. But I did. And, and I said, you know, we don't have any details. And not long after that phone call, Autumn sends me a text saying they're going to discharge me and send me home with a referral to a neurosurgeon. So we were scheduled to see a neurosurgeon on the 23rd of December. And the neurosurgeon that we had been referred to was the same neurosurgeon that had operated on her first husband. And it was a surgery that ended up resulting in his passing, not because of a, of a surgery, but because of a condition that he had that was very, very rare and unique. So they refer us to this same neurosurgeon. Can you imagine having to sit with this same surgeon and, and listen to his treatment plan? So the appointment is scheduled for the 23rd of December, and we go. Now again, it's COVID, and so we're not allowed to go into the appointment with her. She's allowed to take one person into the appointment with her. 
And her sister-in-law happens to be a nurse. So it made sense that, that she would take the nurse into the appointment with her, knowing that this neurologist, neurosurgeon, is, is going to throw all kinds of language and, and other difficulties at her. So she went in, and the neurosurgeon proceeds to tell us that, uh, her mom and I were on speaker, that's why I say tell us. He proceeds to tell us that no one in Michigan is capable of, of what needs to happen, the surgery that she needs to have. And basically, he offers to, to provide a referral for us to either Mayo Clinic in Minnesota or Johns Hopkins. He says he knows someone that has a connection at Mayo Clinic, and, and so we thought, okay, that's probably the better route, and we get this referral to the Mayo Clinic. We get in contact with Mayo Clinic. They get the referral. We start setting up an appointment to find out that Autumn's insurance won't cover her to go to the Mayo Clinic. When we find out that the insurance that Autumn has won't cover us to go to Mayo, Mayo tells us, okay, you're going to have to provide us with a $5,000 deposit. Your consultation with the neurosurgeon here and the neurologist here are going to chew into all of that, that you're going to have to pay out of pocket for any sort of treatment plan or anything like that. They're not even willing to give us an estimate of, of what that might cost. We decided after Christmas of 2020 that we were going to move our wedding up, that we would get married sort of as quickly as we could with hopes that, that she would be covered under my insurance, my employer's insurance company, and that, you know, we didn't want to wait anymore. If we were going to have to do this and go through all of this, no matter what it was, no matter what it meant, that we wanted to go through it together as husband and wife, not as an engaged couple. On the 28th of December, we schedule her consultation at Mayo Clinic for the 15th of January. We call that same day. We find out from my insurance company that she'll be covered immediately once we provide the wedding certificate, the signed, witnessed uh, wedding documents from the county. We're like, okay, sounds good. And so we immediately begin to research getting a marriage license and, and all the paperwork that has to go into that. So if you've ever been married before, you understand that it's not just a ceremony. It's also a, a document filing that you have to get documents from the court. You have to sign off on it. You have to have witnesses. You have to have the person who performs the ceremony sign off. And then you submit that and you get your marriage license. We go online to find out the document process. And because of the pandemic, all of the county buildings are closed. There's no way to get a marriage license in a quick amount of time that we would have to mail the document in that, you know, the application in. And then after they've received it, it could be two to three weeks before they process it. Then they send it back to us. Then we have to do the wedding ceremony and all of that, and then send it back to them for final approval and seal and all of that stuff. We're crestfallen. We're, uh, we're heartbroken. And we look at each other and we say, okay, let's pray. Let's, let's pray that something will give, that, that we can figure out a way to go to this appointment in a couple of weeks and not have to have this extraordinary out-of-pocket medical cost. So we pray that a solution will happen. We share this with our small group from church. If you're not a believer in Jesus or you don't attend a church regularly, a small group is a group that you do Bible study and kind of just do life with in general. 
And ours is amazing. It is made up of some of the most amazingly godly people that I have ever met. And so we share all of this with everyone in our group. And we say, we don't know what to do. We've prayed and we just don't know what to do. We don't know how we're going to get a marriage license in time for this trip to Rochester, Minnesota. We just don't know. And that was it. We all prayed together. It was, it was really wonderful. And then my daughter and I are going to Home Depot one day, and we, we pull into the parking lot of the Home Depot on December 29th, the Tuesday, and one of my friends, Amber, from our small group, calls me right as we're about to get out of the car and says, what are you doing right now? And I said, what? And she said, what are you doing right now? And I said, well, Lilia and I are about to walk into Home Depot. And she says, no, you're not. Get back in the car. Drive over to the county court building right now. Because someone's going to come and open it up for you. I told him your story and everything that's going on. And he's going to come and open up the building for you and, and process a marriage license right away. You need to go home and get Autumn's driver's license and then go. And so I'm like, what? And I call Autumn and go home, get her license, go to the county building. And sure enough, here's this man at the front door who lets my daughter and I into the building. It's completely dark inside. He's turning on light switches as we go. And we walk into the, to the license facility and he introduces himself. And it's actually the county commissioner, a county clerk, excuse me, himself. And he says, you know, I have to process this and then, I, you know, I need you to, to pay in cash because we don't, I can't run a credit card or anything. And I said, okay. And this man processes this marriage license in one day, not three weeks, not six weeks, in one day. He says, okay, all you have to do now is get married and have all the signatures on here and then make a copy of this and send it in. And then you keep the original for yourself. And I looked him in the eye and I said, I don't know how often doing what you do, you get to make the difference in someone's life. But you did it today, sir. And we both got a little emotional and shared that moment together. And then Lilia and I walked out with all of this paperwork in hand. Okay, so now we have the marriage license in hand. Now we got to find someone to marry us. We have to find a place to get married. We have to figure out if we're going to invite people, and if we are, who are we going to invite? How are we going to coordinate all of this, 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 these things? And Autumn needs a dress, and so she goes to David's bridal and says, "I have to get a dress off of the rack. I need, you know, I need something that's going to fit." And so she tries on a whole bunch of dresses, and nothing fits. Nothing. And she puts on this dress and says, oh, I love this dress. I just wish it fit me. It was a couple of sizes too big through the waist and all of that. And she says, this, isn't, this can't be the one because, you know, I have to have something that fits. And while she and, and who she was dress shopping with were talking, one of the ladies that performs the alterations turns and says, I heard your story. I'll take your dress home with me tonight and I'll have it done in two days. You, you'll have it for the wedding. And Autumn says, you know, I want to have my cousin as my maid of honor and also my sister-in-law. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to ask my brother if he'll come in from Colorado and join us. And then we're talking to our small group again. And they said, hey, we talked to the head pastor at the church and 
he's willing to to listen about whether or not he should marry you. So we talk to this man and we pray with him. And he says, you know, normally I wouldn't marry a couple that's already living together. I wouldn't marry a couple that, that has a baby and you know, all of this. And he said, these are clearly very, very unique circumstances. And he agrees that he will perform the ceremony and that we can get married in his church where we go uh, after the services on Sunday. And so we hold a very small ceremony. Um, we get married in this beautiful wedding on the 3rd of January of 2021. There was a beautiful sticky snow that fell overnight through the 2nd of January. And so all of the trees had that beautiful sticky snow on it where it just looks like a picture, like a dream. And so we go out, we take pictures, we do all of those things that you would do at a big wedding, only it wasn't. It was a pandemic wedding. So now we're married. The next step is to submit all of this paperwork through my employer so that we can get her added on to insurance. I have already spoken with everyone from HR. They're ready. They know what's coming. They're ready to help us process all of this and get through all of this so that we can get her added on to this insurance immediately. We get it all added on. She's covered now. She's ready to go for the appointment on the 15th. Except we now have another problem. On the 12th of January, my company car is going to get taken. The company decided at the first of the year that they were going to start using vehicle allowances instead of issuing company cars. We hadn't been able to to go car shopping or anything during all of this. And so we just had always thought, okay, you know, we'll take Autumn's car. Except for the fact that that day before, the engine started smoking. And we were like, well, we can't drive this from Michigan to Rochester, Minnesota. What are we going to do? We don't have the money for a rental car. We don't have anything. And we're sitting in the driveway in the car of mine that is about to be taken. And she looks at me and she says, maybe we should pray. So we bow our heads. And out loud, I say, God, we need you. We don't know how we're going to get to Minnesota. We don't know how that's going to happen. And we just need you. We need help. And in that moment, a FedEx truck pulls up behind my vehicle and the driver jumps out with an envelope. And in that envelope is a $500 Visa gift card from my coworkers with a little note that says, wishing you well in Rochester. So now we're able to go, we're able to make the trip for her initial appointment, her consultation. We rent a car, we drive there, we go through the the appointments. The neurosurgeons at Mayo are incredible, and they explain things in a way that we can understand. They help us understand what to expect. The neurosurgeon there, Dr. Clark, is she literally wrote the book on this specific type of tumor growing on the back of Autumn's spinal cord. She says, okay, you know, let's schedule surgery. So we get it scheduled for the 18th of February. She says, this is going to be a long surgery. 
I'm going to build a 3D model to help myself map out the plan and all of that. But this is going to be a long surgery. You know, we're talking all day long. And so, you you know, you guys just need to be prepared for that. And so we say, okay, we get in the rental car, we drive back to Michigan. In the month in between her appointment and her surgery, I was able to secure another vehicle. We said, okay, we've got the car, we'll drive. Now, remember, we also have now, you know, one, one year old. She's a little over one. She's like 16 months at this point. We're like, okay, we got to take her with us. She's still nursing. We have to take her with us. We're going to take Autumn's mom with us too. We're going to all pile into my new car for, and just go. We drive to Rochester, Minnesota. We have to get there a few days early. Autumn has to do a COVID test to make sure. She has to go through a bunch of pre-op tests and things like that to make sure she's healthy enough for surgery. They do that and, and they say, okay, you know, we're ready to go on the 18th of February. On the 18th of February, they perform this operation, and, and, and I sit down in this waiting room prepared for being there all day. You know, I have my iPad charged. I'm going to watch. I, my plan was to binge watch a show on Disney+. Plus. I had purposefully saved every episode of it, knowing that I would just watch the whole thing in one sitting. I'm sitting there. And we prayed before she goes in. We said, you know, God, just take care of Autumn. Keep her safe. Please be in the hearts of her care team. Please guide the hands of her surgeon. We just ask that you keep her safe during this surgery. And I sit down. And I put my headphones on and I start looking at my iPad. I start, you know, kind of surfing through and, and, and push and play. And immediately my phone rings and I'd look at the phone and, and the caller ID says that it's a number from Rochester, Minnesota. And my heart sinks. And I answer it. And the woman says, hello, is this Patrick? And I said, yeah. And she says, oh, this is whatever her name was. I'm, I'm the nurse here at the, at the nurse's station. I was just making sure we had the right phone number for you. And I was like, What? You struck the fear of God in me calling this early. And she says, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And I said, okay, well, thank you for making sure you have the right phone number. When I hang up the phone, a man has just sat down next to me. And he says, first time, huh? And I said, yeah, it is. And he says to me, my wife's back there too. She's having a tumor removed for the 14th time. And I looked at him, and he said, Don't worry. She'll be okay. And I said, Thanks. And he said, Are you going to be okay? And I said, Yeah, I think so. He said, You'll be okay. And we talked for another couple of minutes, and then he said, Okay, you can, I'll let you get back to your headphones. And I, I put my headphones on and, and went to my show, and I, when I looked up, he was gone. And I didn't see him again for the rest of the time we were in Rochester. I don't know about you, but I know that sometimes God sends a messenger just to let you know you're going to be okay. Four and a half hours later, my phone rings again with a Rochester, Minnesota phone number. This time I'm sure. 
This time I know she didn't make it. I pick up the phone and I say, hello? And she says, Patrick, this is Dr. Clark. And I was like, no, no, no. And she says, I'm done. I got it all. At least I think I got it all. We're going to have to do an MRI in a couple of days to make sure. But I think I got it. And I said, what? And she said, yeah, I'll be out in a little while to talk to you. I got to sew her up first. And then she hung up. I had prayed and prayed and prayed that God would make these hours fly by, that this would be not as difficult of a process as what we were told it was going to be. And here's another answer to a prayer. In the months between November 24th and February 18th, God answered so many prayers that I just couldn't even keep it all straight. I had to journal and do all of these things to make sure that I understood what was really happening. The king of the universe, the one who knits together every single little detail, was listening. And he was there with me in that waiting room. He was there with us in the driveway. He was there with us when we needed a wedding certificate, a marriage license. So they roll Autumn up to recovery. And they say, you know, once she goes up into her room, you'll be able to go up and see her. And so finally, after a couple more hours, they come to me and say, okay, you can go upstairs now. By now it's 6 o'clock p.m., and I get up to the room and Autumn's not there yet. And they, you know, the nurse at the nurse's station says she'll be here in a few minutes. And another couple hours go by and they roll her in about eight o'clock. She's pretty groggy, but she knows she's, she's, she knows she made it. And she's just overjoyed. And she's got a big smile on her face. And so I took a picture with her and I sent it to her mom. And I was allowed to sit for a little while longer before visiting hours were over. And then they sent me home back to this Airbnb that we rented in Rochester, Minnesota and said, you know, assuming that she can get up and walk tomorrow, we'll probably send her home. And I said, what? She just had brain surgery. And they said, yeah, but it's good for her to be home. And so the next day, sure enough, the physical therapist comes. The doctor comes, the neurosurgeon comes, everybody comes in and visits with us and says, yeah, you know, the surgery was a complete and total success. We are ready to to discharge her and send her home. And they did. That day, February 19th, and we went back to the Airbnb in Rochester, Minnesota together. And we went through recovery and made it through the drive coming back to Michigan She went through lots and lots of physical therapy when we got back to Michigan. But the surgery was a success. Her MRI the next day and her MRI six months later showed that there was no tumor left. A four-centimeter mass pushing on her spinal cord was gone. We knelt down and we praised God and we thanked Jesus for being faithful and for creating us in a way that allows our bodies to heal, and for creating people 
who are so smart and so good at what they do and putting them near enough to us and accessible enough to us that we would be able to have life when we didn't think it was going to be possible. I'm going to use the end of the time here to just say thank you to God for for never abandoning us, for being with us through all of it. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. God, would you today and every day see the life of Jesus inside of us, see the light shining so bright that it can't help but be spread to other people. In your son Jesus' mighty and powerful name, amen. Folks, please share our episodes, share our podcast. We really are trying to get the gospel out to as many people as we can, really trying to make it accessible for people in 2023, in in 21st century America, just to, to help people understand that the work of Jesus isn't work that was done 2,000 years ago. I mean, it was, but it's also work that is happening today, right here, right now. Thanks for walking with us.